If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Uncle, Daddy. Daddy. Daddy, Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, Patrice. Hi, Marleya. Hi, Courtney. Hi, y'all. You're happy to be back. I'm happy Yay. to be back. We I've missed you, you even though I've seen you. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't miss us. She missed y'all. I missed y'all. Yes. I missed my microphone and and stand and making She's like cocktails for you stand. and being I hated being in quarantine again I'm not gonna lie it was bad yeah. you know Imagine. honestly I think I would love to go into quarantine again it's still my natural state I, I mean still I've got a lot to do so yeah I would love to be quarantine I, it's easy for me to, to say because I never felt sick when I was in uh, quarantine like when I had COVID I didn't ever really feel sick so mm, yeah it wasn't a horrible experience I, d- I don't want the, I don't want the COVID no I don't no, no. Yeah. well good luck with that wasn't yeah. that great wasn't that great but it wasn't that awful so it at least like it was better time. than the first time i had mm. it hey uh so. go get your new booster yeah mm. boost people psa yes. i got my new booster the other day and i had a sore arm about 12 hours later and that's it so mm. i can be the person that you know through the internet radio that didn't have a severe <laughs> reaction to this this booster right well i will get my booster but i'm gonna have to time it for a weekend because i know i will get sick I, you know, we all have all those theories. This one makes everybody much more sick. This, mm-hmm. Well, you have a theory about blood type. And- yeah, I looked it up last night. That was an early theory that's not really panning out. But they are still trying to figure out the people who have, say they've never had it yet or um, who were Super probably Dodgers. asymptomatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're really um, kind of recruiting those people and studying them and they're linking some genetic things. Ooh, so if you, mm-hmm. do, if you haven't had it yet... Contact your local, yeah. whatever, I don't know, researcher or American see how Red much they'll Cross pay you for your blood. does get their, like, do, draw My the blood. My totally would not do blood. He'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're going to have to do that if you're going to be part of this. They'll draw no, your blood. He's like, fuck you. Will they buy your antigens. plasma? Can they plasmas? I don't know. I don't know. That it's was really shallow research <laughs> that <laughs> I did. I see. As I was all doing... the research that we do on the show. <laughs> I was going to say, our research itself is kind of like folklore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've just been walking around asking people, have you ever coded it yet? That's no. a lot yeah. more scientific than research. what I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's, your, what's your blood too. type? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Three people in one day did tell me they were A negative blood types and had not had COVID to their knowledge. Oh, wow. Mm. I'm just saying. I don't know uh, what that means. I'm just telling you three people in one day. <laughs> I, I asked. I had to ask my parents what my blood type is, and I found out and immediately forgot it again. So I still have no idea. What my blood type is. The only way I remember mine is because it's A plus. Woo! Woo! A plus. I'm A B plus. A B positive. That's not as easy to remember. Yeah. I don't forget it. I used to donate blood all the time too. Though, oh, to see, the, I, to the Red Cross. I could so. never. It's, I've told you the story yeah. before. I could never. So now. So I had a card forever from, you know, the Red Cross and I would see it. I, I see it from reading it. Mm-hmm. How I remember it. Mm-hmm. Donating. Oh. oh, well, please tell us about these wonderful oh. drinks <laughs> that we're eating as oranges I, for. Because I'm like mm-hmm. squishing through the orange. Yeah. So I'm so actually good. drinking a gin drink. Oh, shocking. shocking. But it's the Dread River gin that yes. you know I really like. So 
it's just a, it's kind of a classic. It's called an orange blossom. I didn't come up with a fancy name because I didn't really change the recipe much from traditional. Except I cut a little of the sweet vermouth and added a little more of the gin. Yes. Mm. So it's uh, sweet vermouth. You have to have really good sweet vermouth because it is about a third of the drink. So quality vermouth. Yes, quality. Antica Formula, Mm -hmm. which is an Italian sweet vermouth that's about $50 a bottle. (laughs) That's all I was hearing was Vera Formiga or whatever her name is who's in The Conjuring. Go ahead. Formiga. (laughs) Vera um, so that um, and fresh squeezed orange juice. So mm. about three large oranges to make enough for us to have two drinks each. Mm-hmm. And gin shaker. It is delicious. Or it the is. martini it's glass. And Patrice has done really well with her martini glass. Not, She's on nothing. Not a drop. Not a, because it's so good. Yeah. Please knock on wood. <laughs> it is so good. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I need to finish this before I start my story. Yes, because you go first today. I go first. Well, yeah. while you finish, I'll do some of our um, business, pre-show? some okay. of our pre-show business. Friends, we are doing a live show. This should come out before we do this live show, and you might still have a chance to grab tickets. If right. so, we're going to be in Oxford, Alabama on the 8th of October at Woo! 7 p.m. 7 p.m. 7 and uh, Get there at 6.30, not get, at Yes, doors open at 6.30 Um it's a really fun time. It's at Romarin et Corbeau in Oxford, Alabama. You can get tickets on our website. You can find it on our Facebook page at the Strange South Podcast. So definitely go look. I mean, it's it's really fun. It's an intimate space. It's, it's a very cool little really shop cool. Yes. where you can also buy pretty awesome witchy stuff and mm-hmm. books. And there right. are usually plenty of things that kind of work really well with the kind of stuff that we talk about on the show. Right, so exactly. Um, I think you know, there might be a care package also like being put together. Mm-hmm. So. It is. It is Halloween month. It is Halloween mm-hmm. month. And y'all know we're not like 100% spooky all the time, but right? in Halloween month, we generally are. Yeah. So that'll give you an idea of what to expect. Yes. But um, we'd love to see you there and we will legit see you there. Like mm-hmm. we do photo ops with people. We meet people. We chit chat. We hang out. And as much as that causes my social anxiety to skyrocket i will still enjoy seeing right. you and you talking to you awkward conversations with us Super we awkward. will sit there and be like okay yeah not good at small talk thanks for coming she says this but she's actually really good at it so. what <laughs> i don't think so anyway one way or another and yes. courtney's just shaking i'm her. shaking my head she'll be I'm fine i'm so glad that you're gonna be there and i won't feel awkward i don't think no, no. she won't she'll go out and <laughs> Courtney will go out and hug you and feed yes. you um drinks so yeah, I'll probably do a um, a virgin cocktail version of our whatever we're drinking that night. Yes. I'm thinking right. of infusing infusing some alcohol mm. for it. Yeah, it's going to be super cool. And it's gonna it's getting on to fall. So. Right. And we're going to have Strange South merchandise there that yes. you can purchase. Like if you want a t-shirt or if you want a coffee cup or whatever mm-hmm. that we have available mm-hmm. handy. Stickers. We have we have some stickers still. Yes. Um, I have some stickers still. They They're are my good. business card stickers. They're even more special. Right. So I have um a, just a couple other things. We all, the three of us and our fams, went out to um Springville, Alabama yesterday to Homestead Hollow Art Festival, Art and Craft Festival. Mm-hmm. And y'all know it's like. You know, it's September, so it's the time. It's the time yes. of year where all these arts and crafts and all kinds of things, festivals are going to be happening. And it's right. going to be like every weekend, you're going to be like, I want to go to this, except it happens the same weekend as four other ones that Everything. I want to go to. Yeah. Because um, everybody's so excited about it being fall. So we, we actually had the same thing. We had two we wanted to go to right. and we chose one. 
And it was fun. And we happened to see uh, two of our friends and friends of the show there. So hi, Marcy and Mariah. It was good to see you. We didn't we didn't chit chat for too long because our kids were dying for corn dogs. But um, but we were really glad to see you. I made a line for the food. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it was very long, so I was away from the distance. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I need a like junkyard right dog. lunch. <laughs> and, you know, it's fall in name only. Yeah. It was yeah. still hot as shit. It wasn't as, well, I think it's fall at this it? time of year is really just, eh, it could have been worse. Could have been it, Thursday. It, it, <laughs> could have been worse. Exactly. So, oh my God, Thursday was like an oven. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but we had a fun time with we that. Did. Yeah, look out for it. So, they have another one in November, I think. Yeah. They have November, May, and September, it looks like. So yeah. if but you're ever interested. Also talking that it's not really our target. Like it's not. What it's who not did you say? What did you think the target audience was for this oh, one? Yeah, this it was like elementary school teachers. Yes. There was a yeah. lot of live, laugh, love happening. Yes. Um, but it was fun. And they had like an ironworking mm-hmm. demonstration. Yeah, they had was- real quilters, like good and great potters. A, mo- a moonshine still mm-hmm. that, that was actually that was, they working. They made yeah. us smell it, but not let us drink it. Was, and I had and to have a conversation with them about that. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. Where's the tasting room? Right. Well, you weren't alone because that other guy standing next to you was like, you're missing an entire <laughs> revenue stream here. He's like $10 a shot. I you know. know. You be we would have paid it. I we would have paid it. Yeah. yeah. There's no question. There's some cool cabins, though. The cabin we went to was really nice over the creek. I made them come back inside. I said, you missed the best part of this little. Yes. It was a real cabin from 1900. A Mm -hmm. family had lived there. They had the story behind it. Five children. Five. Mother and five children in this what two room two cabin. room cabin yeah with a very nice back porch oh, so that nice. was screened in right over the creek and mm-hmm. it was the sound was like a noisemaker machine sound like it right. was like it's, a like it's where you would want to sleep the yeah. ambience was just like Aww. oh i'm sure people did that's why they had oh, yeah, it there was no air conditioning so. I think, you know as far as like fairs and stuff that we do one thing that is kind of like in our um radar here should be the oddities and curiosity expo they keep on popping up on all my stuff that comes up every year and they were in atlanta in february so i'm thinking maybe they'll come back to atlanta in february okay and that may be something that we could do as well we'll have to hit them up yeah so yeah that'd be awesome uh, if y'all know anything about that one or have been before shoot us a line and let us know what you think our bolt or yes <laughs> and i guess uh that's most of our yeah. pre-show oh if you um we did also that this weekend has been a busy weekend for us we've done stuff all together all weekend long yep oh, no we it's had been awesome um, i know yeah. it's been nice we had um friday night movie night movie night and we finally watched nope nope which i <laughs> which we said several times <laughs> nope, 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 nope 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 uh which came out on my birthday and i've been wanting to go since my birthday and we we finally got a chance to watch it and we will be talking about it in our after talk mm-hmm. today after the show so if you're interested in hearing our uh review slash just shooting the shit about and we have a lot to say about it we do we actually do because we Mm -hmm. also we have disagreements we do so that always makes it more fun i secretly recorded us through the whole thing i forgot to tell everyone that i was doing that (laughs) it's kind of funny (laughs) not the whole thing but several times (laughs) so we'll be uh so we'll be talking that after talk if you want access to the after talk if you haven't heard this before Mm -hmm. um the patrons get access it's an entire sort of shortened bonus episode every week that they get access to for being patrons. And we thank you guys very much for that support. And if you want access to those, um, go to our Patreon and sign up. We have levels as low as $3 a month and it's still super helpful to us. So yes, absolutely. 
that's the reason that we are still around. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was something else I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, I really hope that you had a recording of us going, nope, 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 nope. I don't nope, know. Nope, nope, nope. I don't, I don't, I don't think she all. did. We were trying to listen to him. There's like that part in the barn where Patrice and I, I was like climbing up the back of the chair for a second. Mm-hmm. So more on that later. More <laughs> on that later. <laughs> right. And if you haven't watched it and want to watch it, you may not want to listen to the after talk. Yeah, it will True. have spoilers, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll talk about it and then we'll spoil it. Yes. So if you haven't watched it, we'll talk about it and then we'll tell you when we're going to spoil it. Right. I believe I am first. You are yep, first. You are. I listened to you all. Did you finish your drink? I missed you. I did. Finished Good my job. drink. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I finished my drink, mommy. <laughs> well, there's one more waiting for you. <laughs> Somebody tried to put a drink limit on me recently. I did. Mm. I did. Oh. <laughs> you want to oh, know not why? just me, us. Because oh. <laughs> I started thinking that we would have more luck like getting all of our post-show production stuff <laughs> sorted out if maybe we weren't trashed when we finished the show. Trashed is not a word I would use. No, we are not, not trashed. Not okay, trashed. well, we're not of sound mind. <laughs> I'm never of sound mind. What are you saying? Speak for yourself, oh girl. Gosh. All I can do is speak for myself. <laughs> Oh She's gosh. speaking for herself, Patrice. Uh, okay. You, you go ahead. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I may resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> I just unplugged my computer. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, <laughs> this, what I'm going to talk about, and this is a big trigger warning. Like, oh. We're all like, wow. I'm just going to get real serious here. Oh, no. What? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, trigger warning. I'm going to be talking about sexual assault. Okay. Oh, no. And kids. Oh my God! And it's going to be bad, y'all. And okay. I'm sorry. So if that, like, if that is not something that you want to, you know, hear right now, but I think this story is really important because I didn't know anything about it, and it's pretty near us. Oh, and it's just something to think about, especially if you have children. Um. Anyway, so of course Kenneth Steed, who constantly feeds us ideas and other podcasts and he's just been a great supporter of the yes. show mm-hmm. um uh brought this to my attention and when i first saw it i'm just like uh kenneth i don't know if i can talk about this because this is really heavy and really upsetting but i went and i bought the book that one of the patients um wrote about this and then i went and listened to the podcast that kind of like talks about this i'm like yeah this is this is something i would want to be aware of kind of deal so today i'm going to talk about the anna wakey um oh my god uh institute otherwise known as camp hell this is gonna be good yeah so i've this, listened to this podcast too yeah so the podcast we're talking about um josh thane in 2021 did a whole huge like 10 part uh podcast on iHeartRadio mm-hmm. about um, Camp Hell, Anawakey. And Anawakey is a treatment center for emotionally disturbed youth, and it's located in Douglasville, Georgia. Douglasville is located like about 20 miles west of Atlanta, and it's actually considered part of the Atlanta metro area. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Oh, so like the very far outskirt, outskirts on yeah, the west side. Expand. Yeah. Now, when this was happening, I don't know if it was metro. I doubt if it was metro area at that time. Yeah. It was still probably considered outside the city limits. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, first, like I said, first I've, I've ever heard about this. So a little history about it. 
Anna Wakey is also known as. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I was like, do you have some chips under there? What's like, happening? I want some. <laughs> There's something attached to my computer that was like making me uncomfortable. <laughs> it was a potato chip bag, is what it sounded like, like but cellophane. it was just clear plastic. Yeah, it's a cellophane bag. No chips. I apologize. All right, so a little history about the Anawaki or the Wake. Anawaki is Cherokee, meaning land of friendly people, which is like a really sweet little, mm-hmm. you know, but it's going to ruin you. On, like, I'm going to ruin you on this name with this uh. whole story. Um, so also, I highly recommend, um, I'm not going to be able to cover everything because it is so vast. Yeah. And some of it, while not under the name Anawaki, some of it, I mean, as you know, some of it's still going on, but we're, we're going to get there. So um, Anawaki is or was the largest medical facility in Georgia at the time. It was created in 1962 by Louis Petter and his busy, busy, his business associate, Britt Baxley. And um, they later expanded to Carabelle, Florida and then they opened up a girls' camp in Rockmart, Georgia. Oh, that's very close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Rockmart is... So we're not going to cover the Rockmart. Right across the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, it's just too much to talk about and mm-hmm. equally as devastating. So we're just going to cover the boys' side of it. Louis Petter was very charismatic. Um, he's like He likes to be known, or he liked to be known as Dr. Petter, although he did not have... A legit degree. Mm-hmm. What happened is like back in the 40s, he got his master's in psychology and was kind of grandfathered in to like being like he was already practicing mm. at, just with his master's instead of having his doctorate. Mm-hmm. And so um, when they like made it a thing it was like, you got to get your Ph.D. and you have to go through additional training, especially in something like psychology in order to be like a psychologist and treat you know, mm-hmm. youth, but he got grandfathered in at that time, which was unfortunate. So um, back in the 40s and 50s, like after World War II, we know that, you know, the teens of that time, like rock and roll was coming into play. Mm-hmm. We all saw like the warning film, Dope Fiend. You Reefer know, Madness. Reefer yeah. Madness kind of thing. Uh, Rebels Without a Cause was, was pretty much on parents' forefront of their mind and so during this time uh petter was you know a counselor at a boy scouts troop um he also like he got into this line of work with youth very early on through the boy scouts through the ymca in, in macon georgia he was also a pastor of a baptist church uh and he established himself as kind of a a local figure in the community and regional, actually, Mm -hmm. um, in the community. He was a psychologist for the courts. He became like a probation officer for the state of Georgia. He even like went to PTA meetings and was like the juvenile. He established himself as a juvenile delinquency expert. Mm -hmm. And um, he used his influence in the community and standing pretty much to gaslight his accusers throughout his whole career so he started from the get-go established himself and um was just an awful evil person it's weird to think how like much 
easier even it would be for somebody to do that in the internet age right because like before you know people could do basically just repeating i am an expert i am an expert i am an expert right and eventually being looked at as an expert and now it could take you like a third of the time to do that because you've got so many followers on instagram or whatever right exactly well and even you know being a baptist preacher that automatically gives you a um, respectability that's undeserved mm-hmm. or being somebody that's, you know, calling themselves a doctor. You don't have to, like, show your Ph.D. papers or, you know, to to prove that you're, you know, or disprove what mm-hmm. you are. Um, so he he worked the system um, and he got to know, like, all of his church, you know, what are they called? Church people. Congregation. Congregation. His church congregation. And was an upstanding citizen and he was in like playing with the politicians and all the cops knew him. Um, and so he he built his his kind of quote unquote empire under this pretense of being an authority about juvenile delinquency. Mm-hmm. And uh, he worked in Savannah as a probation officer for a little while, but Savannah kicked him out because of inappropriate behavior. Inappropriate behavior being that he used to measure boys' penises Um, because he had a theory that the longer the penis, the more in trouble uh, you were prone to be. So he came up with all of these asinine, like, you know, I am the expert. I am the authority. This is legit science. Don't question me while I do all this pedophilia. Oh, my God. So, um... He opened up the wake um, in like 1962 and um, sorry, I lost my place here. And the kind of youth that would, you know, be brought there, he, he established it as a camp for, you know, uh, youth who had sexual trauma, who were committing sexual acts. Um, it was also kind of like um, a gathering place, like courts would send juvenile delinquents there if you if you committed a criminal act you were sent to this rehabilitation camp if you like robbery assault smoking one joint oh my like you were sent in with this whole group parents and it was really targeted to like upper middle class mm-hmm. in atlanta because um you know starting in the 60s you know we still had um a was it corporal punishment? There mm-hmm. was still like paddling going on in school. It was still okay to like beat your children into submission. It was not seen, you know, like it is now as like the abuse and, and what it carries on into um, into their lives. So even like they didn't have diagnosis like ADHD or ADD or anything like that. So these children were also clumped into this. So if children were problematic to their parents, their parents were like, oh, you know, this place down in Georgia with this guy who's been an expert since, you know, the 40s in Anawaki, um, you know, they'll fix my child. Mm-hmm. So he targeted, you know, this audience, this upper middle class for, um, you know, emotionally and kind of he didn't coin. Obviously, he didn't coin emotional behavior um, behavior, emotional behavior or disturbed behavior mm. like that. But within the medical sense, it wasn't like not, they explained this in, in the podcast. 
it was not like a universal term. So mm-hmm. they were very loose, like as far as who they could admit. So they admitted like, you know, court ordered um, children, but and and children from parents who like had, you know, mental problems or behavioral problems. But like I said, if, a you know, a parent caught their child smoking one joint, they could also send them here. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they sent them there, he charged in the 70s $90,000 for this treatment. Oh, my God. So it was like a high price tag. And in today money, that is almost $700,000. Holy shit. So he was charging this to the parents for this treatment, for this camp to rehabilitate their wayward, um, disturbed children. Well, he wasn't getting that from the state or people who were sending it. So he was trying to like make money off he, he was, oh, yeah. he, right i'm exactly. sure he wasn't getting anything for the i guess that's no, why he, he was, was getting targeting. something but he right. wasn't getting any like that kind of money from right the people right. who were court ordered yeah right. that's why he'd go exactly. for like yes. and that's middle he, class upper class yeah. white like, families it got kind of a wiggle room as far mm-hmm. as like the classification and i think i think the whole thing like he was state i don't i don't i don't know i could be talking to my ass he could be state funded like if he was like a state institution yeah. Mm-hmm. But also accepting private. Yes. Um, I think I was going to say, I remember that too being a thing because he did, I feel like he did have support from the state of Georgia. Oh, yeah. At, no, at some level, no, you know, no, like financially. Or, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the child welfare people, they absolutely supported him and they sent children Ugh. to him. Okay. When the parent would send their children, he would meet with the parents and meet with the child and he would tell the parents he would set them up for the grooming that he was fixing to do. So he would tell the parents, he's like, look, we are going to isolate your children for an extended period of time and you will not be hearing from them. You'll not be able to communicate with them. They will not be able to communicate with you. You can write them letters. And then after that isolation period is over, then they can get your letters and you can get their letters kind of deal. And he's like, and in these letters, you could probably, he's like, normally what you can expect to hear is like the children being scared, the children complaining about this, this, and this. He's like, that is all normal part of the procedure. So he was prepping the parents to hear about these complaints and ignore them because it was part of the process. And, um, and so, you know, it wouldn't raise any red flags. Because he's like saying they're going to manipulate you and try and get you to exactly, get them out. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, but you need to stick with it because this is part of the process and this is going to help your children. What he initially instituted, there is something in the 1940s called the wilderness therapy. And wilderness therapy is a lot like the Marine Corps training. Mm-hmm. And it is where you break the children down. And then you teach them self-reliance and a set of values and you don't give them time to get into trouble. Like you keep them occupied throughout the day. So and you teach them to work in groups as well. This whole wilderness training that he initially like based off um, the Anawiki camp from was actually created by salesmen and businessmen in Texas. As part of something that they're like, we're going to take these boys and we're just going to make them work and give them. <laughs> turn them into men. Turn them into men. And we're going to, because it was the 40s, there's a lot of Native American appropriation, as we see from the name. 
um, you know, they the leaders were supposed to be called chief and, you mm-hmm. know, they had like Indian names for each groups. And it was just that whole if you can think of like the 40s vibe or the 50s vibe right after the war. As far as like, you know, you were in the war, you were a man, Mm -hmm. you know, now you come home, you make your children men, you Mm -hmm. send them here, you know, cowboys and Indians. I don't know. But of course, you know, Anawaki twisted that and and not so, I mean, Anawaki twisted it, but it was Petter twisting it to satisfy his, I don't even know what to call it, evilness. So the process when the children got there and I did, I read a book. And by read, I mean listen to a book. <laughs> um, Anna Wakey, One Boy's Journey by Stephen Selim Evans. And this is, it was on um, Audible. And it was not so much a book, but kind of like you have a friend's friend who's telling you a pretty gratuitous account of something really awful. Mm. And it was pretty like if you go out and look for that book, like it, it was very, it was like very telling mm. and it was horrific what he went through. But just be prepared because there was, you know, gratuitous talk. Like it's explicit. Explicit. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. A lot of people did have good experience. Like it did shape up a lot of people, but it did a lot more harm and damage than it was really worth. It's in the middle of the woods. It was a dirt road. And when it started, there were no buildings. There was nothing there. It's just like you're out, you know, the first kind of test boys that came out there. They were like, there there were no buildings. There was nothing there. So first three months was like isolation. And the the boys that started it in the beginning, they actually like, we're talking five to 18 year olds. Five-year-olds, seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds were cutting down trees. They were like building these buildings, laying foundation, doing carpentry. So he used child labor to actually build the camp in the beginning. And with this, they built these isolation rooms. When you got there, everybody went into an isolation room. And when I talk about isolation room, I'm talking about think about jail and think about solitary confinement. So they were put into like these rooms that had basically a slot for food and they were not allowed to go outside to speak to anybody for three months. And that was like their first taste of it. And if they did certain things, then they were allowed to come out of the rooms. But that was like everybody was like, that was part of the breaking down process. It's like you were completely isolated weren't talked to for three months. Imagine doing that to a five-year-old. Imagine that to doing like, it. What, yeah. what, what would that do to a five-year-old? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and these were called, quote unquote, quiet rooms. And they were also known as the evaluation and observation rooms. You know, when you were locked into this unit um, and you were all categorized, you know, in these units by by age so you know they didn't let the older boys be with the younger boys they kept like the younger boys and then you know middle-aged boys and then the older boys together and they all had native american tribe names and stuff so these locked units was like a a level system they had like green a red green yellow blue and each level granted certain privileges and so when you had the privileges then you had like more demands for participation with on-site therapists so you got like to see therapists and you had to 
basically jump through their hoops to get to the next level level it was a very stair step system so it was like if you did what you were told then you got to this level if you like screwed up then you got sent back down to the quiet rooms and you know after you finish the color system there and so even in the quiet rooms like if you gone up in the quiet rooms you were let out like but you were you still had to go back in you know you weren't completely you weren't outside you didn't get to go outside you were still in the building even going through all the color rooms right the guy that i read the book um or that listened to the book he said that you know he was in that room for six months oh my um and it was because he wasn't following their like he wasn't jumping through the loops for them he was he was he understood he figured out like what they were trying to do and he was like fuck you i'm not doing this Mm -hmm. and so but they kept him there for six months and it broke him and so he finally you know started doing what they wanted to do and they gave him a little more freedom and he was like okay this is nice this little freedom that they're giving him so he's wanted more freedom so he started doing more of what they they were asking of him which is what they're going for which is what they're going for exactly and um so once you you know get out of the color level system you graduate then you are moved onto a campsite and right before you move to a campsite you have like the camp leaders come and kind of pitch what their camp is and why you should join them. Of course, when the children are in there, they don't explain this to the children. They don't say like, hey, if you do this and this, you get to do this. They just automatically, you know, keep them in there and the children kind of have to figure out why they're, you know, Mm. why they're being punished or why they're not, you know, let out of this room or not able to talk to anybody. Once they go to the campsites, uh, in each campsite, there are groups of boys put together and the campsite are basically labor camps. So one camp would be carpentry. Mm. Another camp would be uh, electrical wiring. Another camp would be, I don't know, digging ditches, you mm. know, like each one had kind of their expertise and they would go and they would either pick off the boys or the boys would get, you know, I don't know how much control they had over it. But anyway, so that you would you would go into this camp. And so, you know, and this is boys like five through 18. And so when you got there, the the new boy was taught by the last new boy as far as what you're supposed to do. They they can't. They slept on the ground kind of deal. Um, And so, you know, they were supposed to write a schedule, wake up every morning or um, every beginning of the week, they're supposed to write a schedule for that week, like an hour by hour schedule. Like you get up here and you eat and you they were like they cooked for themselves. They did everything, you know, for themselves, by themselves. So they did a lot of their own cooking. They hunted for their food. They dug porter oh potties. God. They cut down trees and shaved them. They put molding in cabins. They did wiring. They built A-fray caverns. They set trussels. They put on roofs. They dug a a lake, like a tent, like a guy was talking that he was 10 years old and he helped dig this lake that's there till this day. You know, they cut grass with sling blades, they cleaned out sewage ponds. And then at the end of the day, they were supposed to like meet back with their group, review what happened. If there was like any fighting with the boys, they were supposed to tell that to the leader and solve their problems. And then the next day, just repeat you know, over mm-hmm. again. And they lived off the land. They hunted, they built, they did forestry. 
Um, and there was a lot of just fucked upness going on, like, you know, at the time as well. But, you know, they did they did hiking. They did horseback riding sometimes. It was considered like vocational therapy. Mm-hmm. And they had they had so they had these labor groups or these work groups, but they also had like these school groups. So it was like the reason you were doing all of this labor was so that you can move up the ladder to be the school group so that you could actually go to school. Mm -hmm. So they were supposed to go to school, but the camp wouldn't let the work group go to school, which fucked up a lot of children when they actually got out because they had to repeat like at least three years or so before they could graduate like from high school. So the parents are probably told that they are their children will be going to school and then but when they get out and they haven't they're just going to be told well your child never graduated or did the right stuff to get out of this to this yeah Yeah. right yeah and and the whole time like you know again communication they can talk to their parents and stuff but by this time it's a cult Mm -hmm. they're brainwashed into saying the right things for their parents and everything And also like their groups. So they were very tight, like each of their groups. So if somebody ran away, what they would do is they would have your group go after the runaway. And when the runaway, they caught the runaway, they beat the shit out of the runaway to like make sure that he never did that again. Or if you slept late and missed your morning group meeting, then your group came in and picked you up and threw you into the lake. So punishment a lot of times was dealt by the group it, mm. itself. So they were also self-policing at this point. Counselors and instructors. So it was like not all the counselors were bad. Although when the counselors were bad, it, it was really bad. Petter sold it to counselors working in the field as like this great outdoor experience. You're going to be like helping these youths. But like the legit people who like majored in psychology that came in um, and, you know, counselors that came in, they sensed that something was wrong with Petter. And it was like Petter was touching boys like a little too much. He was a little too handsy. Mm. And they also noticed that kids and we're talking like young kids because the kids in the work camps were like buff. Oh, like yeah, I bet. Muscular. Like they all like no body fat and they were all very extremely strong. But like the younger kids um, uh, is, you know, Petter would come have them for the weekend as like a special therapy session. Mm -hmm. Um, And so two of the counselors, Roger Wren and Robert D'Agostino. Sorry. D'Agostino. I remember that. Thank you. You know, they came in and. They noticed they took like a canoeing trip down to Carabella, Florida, which is where they later opened up a camp. And they just noticed just like it was just weird. And then they actually caught Petter in bed with one of the kids, like an 11 year old kid like in the act. And they're kind of like, what the fuck, man? Oh, my God. And um, Petter automatically was like. This is not what you're seeing. This is not this is not what's happening. And they're like, yeah, it is, you know, what's happening. And so they talk to themselves and they're like, we need to this is this is not cool. We need to leave. But then they're also like, but we're leaving all of these children here who need support. 
you know, to be victimized by this predator. And so they stuck around for a little bit, but they they basically, you know, they tried to keep like their group away. And um, and they were like they had their eye on um, Petter. And and so when they would see him circling around and, and paying attention to like one of the younger kids, newer kids coming in, they would confront him and they were like, you do not touch this kid or mm-hmm. you're going to have to deal with me. And um, like Petter would go like they have communal shower and mm-hmm. Petter would go into the shower and stuff. And uh, one of the counselors actually during the testimony said that Petter told him that homosexuality was good for the boys, in particular homosexuality with staff members, because it got a relationship, a good relationship with an adult going. That's not homosexuality. That's child abuse. No, that's a completely different thing. It's a completely different thing. But again, consider the period of, oh my of God. time of, of how people viewed. Yeah, well, I have a big problem with these psychologists who did not immediately go turn him in, though. Right. Did they, they have, license did to, they no. have someone to turn? I mean, it seems okay. like there would have been a group that they should have reported him it's to. According right? to what year this is, I'm teaching this it. Is well, the it's 70s. in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's in the 70s when this was going on. And there was bad counselors there as well. So the counselors, they did quit. They, yeah. they quit and they immediately went to the sheriff. Yeah. And the sheriff didn't do anything about him. Yeah. Because he had everybody in his hand already. He, yeah. He was making buttloads of money. He was already well established in the community because he was a Baptist preacher. He talked at PTAs. And they're like, you just can't attack this man without proof. And nothing right. you can say could There's, possibly be construed as proof, surely. Absolutely. They went to the state welfare, child welfare. They went to lawyers. They went to the news. Um, they could not do anything until a child came came forward and like said, and even then, like who's who's going to believe some of these children who exactly have behavior problems because they're like the most vulnerable right. demographic. Absolutely. So nothing was done. So they eventually ended up getting um an affidavit from a couple of former patients, but as soon as that happened, Petter started a smear campaign against the two mm, former counselors okay. he started calling them communist oh and, my God. and he was like you know don't don't listen to them because they're communists they're nuts they're lying um you know they have grudges and stuff like that so mm. as soon as he called them a communist back in the day mm-hmm. you could sue them for liable because communist was a big ugly word back then yeah and so that, and that's what they did. They're like, well, if we can't get him for abuse, we're going to sue him for libel. And hopefully that will draw attention. And of course, it didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So next what they did is they went and they sued him and tried to get challenge his license mm-hmm. for the camp. Good. And that started the ball rowing, rolling. And so there was a hearing and. Um, they went after because there was something about having like a competent um, uh, person above reproach leader for any kind of medical, you know, mm-hmm. uh, facility or something like that. So they went after that. Uh, yeah. And they had, you know, people they had children or former children come up, come out and like talk about, you know, in explicit detail what, you know, he did. And um, they were just and there's 
testimony, there's like written testimony that they read in the um, iHeartRadio podcast. Like, so you can listen to like how the lawyers attacked these children mm-hmm. and how or former children, <laughs> <laughs> former patients, <laughs> former children. <laughs> I am a former child. <laughs> Me too. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm still a child. <laughs> um, and so, you know, of course, you know, they try to discredit the patients and, you know, call them deviants and they had, the thing about it is, is the lawyers for Petter had access to their medical records so they could use their medical Aww. history against them and humiliate them, which they absolutely did. And so um, while this has happened, Petter's still making just tons of money. Uh, there's so much, like I said, there's so much on the money side of this that's going on with like insurance agencies, politicians, businessmen, all getting into this. Like it's like some Epstein shit. Mm. kind of stuff going on um even like petter started taking once a year the boys to mexico and um was implicated in sex trafficking he Mm -hmm. took them to a brothel there in mexico um finally like you know getting out in the news uh finally like a lot of it, it basically down came down to like money and having people dealing with all that money kind of like set them up to screw. It's like how they got like whatever gangster because of his. Yeah, IR, IR, it's always money laundering Texas. that money does laundering. it. It's not like right. It's the not moral the stuff. actual yeah. moral stuff. Exactly. So in 1988, Lewis Petter pled guilty for 18 charges of sodomy, sodomizing former patients, uh, mental patients, and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And that included um, 12 years of probation. And this is after he's already been doing this for 25 years. 25 years. No. Holy shit. Thousands, thousands of of youths, of children. That's gross. It's so gross. And not to like, this is just one camp. So they had a girls camp. And um, and we'll talk about that in just a second. I'm not going to go like into much further detail about this. So Lewis Petter only served seven years. Son of a bitch. And um, he, you know, he got out in 1986, I believe. No, 1996. I was going to yeah. say, I think you said yeah. it was 88, 88. that yeah, he was charged. he got charged. out in 1996. And, um, and then the civil suits came about. So, like, former patients started, you know, you know, saying, oh, okay, now maybe people will listen to our story. So four girls from the Rockford camp sued him for forced labor and sexual and mental abuse from the counselors that they had there. Mm-hmm. And they won like $5.4 million, well, that's which good. was shocking to everybody. And it's mostly shocking to the insurance company who they were suing um, as part of like, the whole conglomeration. I hope they actually got that money then. They, they, Well, they didn't get millions after they divided it and lawyers and stuff. I think one of the girls says she got like $300,000. But she was expecting like a thousand dollars. Yeah, like she had. They had no clue. Um, but also in the girls, and I didn't listen to or haven't really read up much. And it's really kind of hard to find like info, mm-hmm. especially like after he went. Like I have a feeling there's a lot of shit buried. There's a lot of people who probably he was like one. There was one other counselor implicated, but I have a feeling there's a lot more out there that have not been exposed. 
Well, and didn't you say at the beginning that he had a partner too? Like, and he doesn't really factor in. He doesn't really factor in. And the the counselors that I talked about that took him to court for libel, they they liked the guy. Oh, the other guy. Yeah, they mm-hmm. liked his his partner, and they're they called him like an upstanding man, and he was great with the kids, and um, you know, they they there was nothing wrong with how he treated them, mm. and and they would approach him, and they're like, how how. How come you are tolerating this? Mm-hmm. And and nobody wanted to like out. I don't know. Mm. You know, go against them. Anyway, so the civil suits come about. Um, oh, one of the things I was talking about. So forced labor for the girls. Yeah. One of the girls says that they would have to like bend over, like do kind of like a tabletop pose. And they would put like 90 pound bags of cement mm on their back and they would have to like take them uphill because again they were building the medical facility mm-hmm. um and constantly expanding it so he was getting free child labor mm-hmm. um and he was getting paid to make these children labor paid, yeah. you know on top of all of that i remember hearing her story on the podcast and her talking about how many like all of the the medical and health issues she had yes. in the years afterwards because Can you imagine? of that. Yeah. I bet she didn't even weigh 90 pounds. Yeah. Um, in 1992, he went up for parole and so many people came forward that he was denied parole. Oh, thank God. I thought but, you were going to say the opposite. No. In 1986, however. Um, 96? Sorry. 96. 86. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. 1986. 96. 96. <laughs> in 86, he got out. That's right, no, in eighty in nineties no, you said in eighty eight he went in. Yeah, that has to be it. Anyway, so at some point. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. At some point. In chronological order that obviously have fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> he got out of prison. Um and then other major lawsuits came to like hundred and ten former patients sued him for like four hundred and thirty two million dollars, mm-hmm. like in nineteen ninety. In 1999, and this is the only thing, because I tried searching on him, like, in his later years, like, after he got a prison, like, anything, like, where was he, when did he die, kind of thing like that. Um, the only thing that came up in 1990, um, 1999, he wanted to overturn uh, his um, probation or overturn being a sex offender. I don't think you can do that. Because the sodomy law was what he was prosecuted prosecuted with it wasn't abuse and so when they got rid of the sodomy law then basically he was like (sighs) he didn't do anything wrong in the eyes of the court none of a bitch besides raping young boys um and so you know he was removed he wanted to be removed and i don't know if he was removed i want to think he was removed from the sex offenders list and he also wanted it removes so that he could travel out of country to go to property that he owned in Mexico. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But he actually ended up living in a small ranch home in Georgia for 20 more years. Okay. And he died in January 18th, 2018, at the age of 98. Uh, I hope he was miserable. I hope he died in a horrible way. I hope so, too. So during this time or before this time, Sometime in my (laughs) the Hospital Corporation of America took over to keep the medical license of the camp. They changed the name to New Annie Wakey, um, and then or Ann Wakey, 
Anna Wakey. Anna Wakey. And then they changed it because that was still like too much juju going yeah, on with that name. For real. So they changed it to Inner Harbor Hospital and now Inner Harbor LTD and now Inner Harbor <laughs> for Children and Families. And, you know, there are still facilities out there and there is no federal oversight. Oh, my God. And the people who also committed crimes, like they said counselors would come in and uh, have sex mm. with the boys. And then if they found out about it, the counselors would let go. But it was like such a predatory mm. thing. And some of the some of the boys that went through it, like they're like, it saved my life. Mm-hmm. They're like, we heard things were happening. It didn't happen to us. Um, you know, it made me self-reliant. It it gave me, you know, something to look forward to. It made me a better person. Um, although there were some fucked up things that mm-hmm. happened, like isolation mm-hmm. and like just getting your ass beat. Um, and then others who absolutely to this day are lives are shattered and just unbelievable psychological damage um to just so many people because of one because of rich white man one with a master's degree evil bastard <laughs> and that is my depressing story and i promise for october i will not be talking about <laughs> depressing stories. I thought it was very interesting because it is so close to us yeah. i've never heard a word of it i hadn't either nobody talks about it so one of the things Hard that, to find it, but I found it his obituary. He was married. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He had, he had children. children. Yeah. And they they don't have the children in listed. In the business. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were all part of the business and, and you know, boards or, or whatever. Yeah. That podcast was really the only thing I could find that was about it. Fantastic. It's a really good. Camp Hell is a good podcast. Camp Hell is a fantastic podcast. Lots of good, insightful, like he interviewed people. Um, it's, and you know what? It's, it's, distar- it's disturbing. It is disturbing. But, but you know what? To his credit, too, he did interview the people who said the things you're saying about like right. this changed my life. I didn't have this experience personally. I just right. You know, did these other things, and yeah. it was good for me. Which you know, it's funny when I was like when I was listening to they're building their own cabins, they're doing all this. I was thinking like, well, you know, I mean, maybe we are sometimes too precious with our kids. You know, maybe they're capable of more. Five year olds shouldn't be cutting down trees. No. You know, nobody should be in isolation Slinks, for three months. Right. Or, but or any. And yeah. there there was another part of it when they, they did talk a little bit more about the um the Florida place that they were building. And mm-hmm. they said that they'd w- they would cart the boys down there to help build the Florida facility. And yep. one of the things that always sticks in my mind about this was they were talking about these those massive pylons that build docks, you know, those massive yes. like yeah. trunks that they put in the in the ocean to put a dock on top of. Mm-hmm. They um they coat that with like a, a toxic tarish coating. Like Christo. That goes over it all the way from the top to the bottom. And you're not supposed to touch it. It causes and cancer. They had these boys taking these massive, like several hundred pounds probably, right? Like pylons. And carrying them bare chested and bare armed to the ocean and helping to set them mm-hmm. in the ground. And they had burns. They had like chemical burns oh, all yeah. the way up their arms and all across their chest from doing this work. Yeah. And it's like, man, if you have a question about whether these people had any serious notions of actually helping anybody. Yeah. Think about that kind of shit. Like yeah. the, there was no mistake in that they had no interest in these children. No, they, they really they really didn't. Yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking, and it's 
it's also it needs to be a wake up call to everybody and especially parents is like if somebody tells you that they are going to isolate your child you say no mm-hmm. children should not be isolated for whatever reason you have should it, always all... have access to your children yes. even if you want your children to be isolated away I know, from right? you right <laughs> but even like even you know you should always have access to your children in any kind of medical situation and like, you know, and if not question and then get them the hell out. And if you have any question about that, like we all just went through the pandemic. We've all seen what like right. isolation, even not complete isolation just within the family unit can right. do to kids. Yep. And like psychologically, like that should be a major red flag. Oh, absolutely. Major red flag. Yeah. And don't let anybody gaslight you. Yes. Them. If it feels weird to you, it's, it is. Listen to your listen yep. to your gut. Absolutely. And that includes like doctors. Mm-hmm. Like Marlea and I were just talking about this, about like I had to sign a form or I didn't have to sign it. Um, they gave me a form saying like if my child wanted to have like um, a private conversation with the doctor to discuss whatever things right before he was to be examined. Of course, I would be in the room when he's examined. You know, I would allow this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I, t- I know my child. He's never going to do that. Um, but I was like, yeah, you know, if there's something that he doesn't feel comfortable talking with the doctor. It's like, I'm going to be right outside the door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then that's fine. But, you know, anything else, I like, no, mm-hmm. no. Protect the children, y'all. Yep. Good and, story. But, I mean, bad story, but good story. Yeah. yeah. Bad story. Well told. It's, it's an important, it's an important story. I think that we need to like discuss more and bring it out to the light so that people who take advantage of their position, whatever it is, should be like held accountable mm-hmm. and they should rot in jail. Yeah, man. And then hell. And then hell. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't believe in hell. But yes, hell on earth. All right, uh, y'all. Let's, uh, let's refill. Yes. All right. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. Uh, Yeah, my, um... My arthritis is going to kick me in the mm-hmm. ass pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you an arthritis story a little bit later, home. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> do you do, have a I thought? Do, oh, I do have a thought. I have like a little correction because I thought about it when we were on break. That was so. Fast. Are we back? We are back. We're back. <laughs> yes, thank you, Courtney. I didn't know what we wanted in that. Uh, we'll let Randy decide. We'll let Randy decide. Absolutely. So the the Anawaki Anawaki. Thank you. Like I listened to it all weekend and I still can't fucking <laughs> say the name. So anyway, the whole corporation was I said that they got sued for like three hundred and some million dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. That's actually wrong. They got sued for like maybe 30. Well, actually, they settled with the insurance company because after 
the girls sued them and got five million dollars back in that time period and everybody was like oh shit mm. um especially the insurance company yeah. the, the insurance i think they settled maybe for like out of like 110 people for like 30 million dollars instead of going to court and being dragged out for years and probably paying a whole lot mm-hmm. more but the 300 and some odd change was actually what the facility was worth or or the the assets mm. that the value that, the value that mm. he had built up with this um or the multiple medical facilities that he was running blick blick glad he's dead <laughs> yep all right Glad he's dead. And now for something completely different. <laughs> Glad Good. he's dead. I don't, I don't see a through line. Maybe we'll find one. I don't know. I don't see a through line this time. It's okay. I don't want a through line. I will tell you. <laughs> We're going to start this evening with a poem. Oh, yes. Oh, yay. <laughs> Did you write it? I didn't. No. Oh. It goes. There once was a man. From- <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it goes. Late last night and the night before, Tommy knockers, Tommy knockers, knocking at the door. I want to go out. Don't know if I can because I'm so afraid of the Tommy knocker, man. Tommy knocker. Have you heard that before? I read the book. You read the book? Yes. So in 1987, I think it was when the book came out, Mm -hmm. is the Stephen King book. It's called Mm -hmm. Tommy knockers. If you haven't figured that out already. And the story of the Tommy knockers book is that there's this town in Maine and somebody starts digging. I don't remember why. And accidentally excavates this big metal thing. As more of it is uncovered, this person starts to feel smarter and becomes like a super genius. And she's like, oh, my God, this is a miracle hunk of metal. And so they keep on like digging up this thing and they feel like really, really compelled to like unearth this whatever it is that they found. And meanwhile, you find out they're also like torturing their dogs on the side and having psychotic breaks and shit. Shit. And it's because the metal thing that they're unearthing is an alien spaceship that is converting them all to aliens. By some sort of gas? Do you recall? Because uh, I've never read it. So. I've never read the Tommy Knockers, but it's been a minute. Um, and I remember nothing. There it's was a movie or a made for TV movie. That's what I remember. The only thing I remember was <sighs> I Jimmy Smith pulling out his own molars <laughs> on TV. See, like I, I, that's what I remember. Stephen King cannot do movies. No. So I have a really hard time watching any of his made for anything movies because it ruins the books for me. Well, listen, apparently, according to Stephen King with this book. With this book, he said he couldn't do books either. He said this was the most awful book he'd ever written. Yeah. He, he blamed this book on drugs and alcohol. Like, Wait, he couldn't do point. books or movies then. Yeah, he was like, he, he was can't. pissed about this book after the fact. You know, he's a great starter. He cannot finish for shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's what she said. Uh-huh, that's what she said. It's <laughs> the name of her sex book. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, that's book. the name of your nine, sex nine. book. <laughs> In this story, they start calling they start calling the aliens the Tommy Knockers. They call so if the people in the town start converting into this weird genius psychotic state, they start seeing that they've turned into the Tommy Knockers, and that name comes from the idea that these aliens had come down in the spaceship and were knocking on the hull of the spaceship from inside because they were trapped underground. Oh. And so, like, the idea, and you may be correcting me if you like this book and have read it more recently or whatever, but I think all the aliens died, and there's some gas built into the spaceship that's, like, meant to kind of repopulate the race and send them back to wherever they came from. Mm. And so... um, 
you know, that's that's the idea. So mm-hmm. is this still this idea of something knocking on something underground is where the Tommy yeah. knockers came from. Knocking. So I looked this up, though, because Stephen King said, I heard this poem when I was a little kid and I, I heard the first verse, but I made up the second one. Well, it kind of turns out it's very likely he also made up the first one mm-hmm. that like he. So I looked on Google Conversations and there was like a whole thread on this. And somebody had said, like, I've heard something with this timbre before, like a, a nursery rhyme, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like that. And it the one that the first person said went not last night, but the night before two tomcats came knocking at the door. Oh. I went downstairs to let them in. They knocked me over with a rolling pin. And then other people had that same one, but it was like 29 robbers came knocking at the door. Mm. And then it was actually a um, a jump rope, like a skip rope rhyme mm-hmm. that you count down mm-hmm. or you count up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like just it's the right rhythm for that. Right. Right. And so then you count one, two, three, and you count all the robbers that made it into your house. So it turns out he didn't even make up the poem. <laughs> <laughs> he just thinks he made up the poem. Oh, Jesus Christ. But um but in spite of all this, a Tommy knocker was actually a folkloric creature. Yeah. And is actually, I guess. I did, they don't really ever die. So well, if you're telling the story, it is current. It is a folkloric creature. Mm-hmm. We're reviving you're t- the yeah, Tommy knocker. You're telling the lore now. But it's not an alien. It's a um so it's a folk creature and the stories of Tommy knockers come from old con- like old country like across the seas old country mm-hmm. miners like coal like tin miners. Okay. And those stories came to Appalachia from people from the old country who came overseas to work in mm-hmm. mines in Appalachia. I didn't know there were I, I guess that would make sense. Tin mines. I was like, you don't hear about tin mines. That's no. Just weird. But, you know, they came here. They would come here to work in coal mines or they would come here on the East Coast, mm-hmm. this, especially Virginia, West Virginia and Kentucky. That's where coal the, mining territory. Where all the caves are. Yes. And we know what's in the caves. We know what's in the caves. Mammoth cave system. <laughs> Knockers. There's a and up to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's big mining country. But also out west, you know, a lot of these people would also go out west and do gold mine. Right. So like Nebraska, Wyoming, California, lots of people would go out there and do the same. West Virginia and Kentucky in our, you know, in our, we say these are the south in our Mm -hmm. definition, right? Yeah. Big coal mining areas. (laughs) And this is since the 1800s. So people came specifically for the mining jobs. Like somebody would send them a letter and they'd be like, oh, I'll be right there. And they'd come across the sea and they'd do you know come take the mining jobs and they would bring their lore with them right so i don't know i don't really know how this got to maine (laughs) like there's not coal mining in maine there's like granite mine there's like limestone mining you mean because of stephen king being in maine yeah that's what i was thinking i don't know how he got that story really and equated it with maine well he probably could have talked to somebody from there i guess so and there he was just you know because there's mines, but there's not. I don't think there's that kind of mine. Again, he said he was drunk, so he might that's have heard true. the story I mean, West Virginia. He, he does not have to stay in Maine like his whole like he can travel. I know his so, whole. I bet it's weird. But his he whole, always sets. His he always pretty much stays in Maine. In Maine you know, Maine's, it's like every. It's like everything on Earth always has happened in Maine for like the whole history of humanity. Right. Right. Including alien civilization. As I started looking about this, I'm actually kind of surprised I never talked about mining before. Because it's such a huge, you know, it's a massive deal in like, especially, like I said, West Virginia and Kentucky. And it shaped Appalachian culture and economic systems and, you know, 
right opioid addiction oh my god you know i mean like we all watch dope sick right yes black lung disease i mean there's there's a lot that's happened because of mining i mean it it gave people jobs and it created an economy but it had a price Mm -hmm. so i'm sure that's a story that i'll be doing another day and children with no fathers exactly and that's not gonna be the story i do today children who died in mines but we promise you we all know that story and we will be telling that story in the future our through line is child labor labor. (laughs) yes oh what a sad, sad thrill that is. Fuck. So, Way to go, y'all. So, uh, <laughs> so one of the one of the folk stories that got passed around from miners that were coming from overseas was a story of the knockers, and this came from specifically from Cornish people. And I was sitting there thinking, like, I don't actually know what Cornish people mean. <laughs> I don't either. Until I was like, well, they use the metric system, and the only thing I could think of was. Cornish hens, Mm -hmm. Cornish game hens, and Cornish Rex cats. So I was like, this is the land of tiny chickens and ugly kittens. That's just what Cornish is. I don't know about those cats. Have you seen them? No. Oh, wait, I don't wait, want wait. to. No, no, no. I've got a picture. I'm going to pull it up. Cat. Cornish Rex. The, have you ever seen the Cornish Rex? Rex? Rex. Like T-Rex. Yes, I've got a picture. I've even got it prepped for you. Wait, I'm going to show it to you. You all can just sit in oh, your yeah, cars and I've wait. These See these ugly cats? Oh, God. Yeah. Somebody put a meme up with the big old eyes. I, I right? Know, I know somebody who group? has three of these. Really? The Cornish Rex? Well, they look, they look like, like caricatures. Or Sphinx. The Sphinx cat looks a lot like these. The naked ones? No, it's not naked. They're not naked. Okay. They're these. Well, so anyway, I, I really seriously was like, okay, so we've got tiny chickens, ugly cats, and that's what you are if you're Cornish. But it's <laughs> it's a... Sorry. I'm sorry if you're is Cornish. Is it not, not in the UK? It is. Is it not England? It's in the UK. I also had to look up how to properly refer to the UK because I always forget that like, okay, so we got the British Isles. Right. We got like mm-hmm. Britain. Great Britain is the England one. Right. So Scotland is above England. Mm-hmm. And then if you go down underneath, you got Wales on the side. And mm-hmm. then if you go down in the very tippy toe bottom, that's Cornwall. Like down there in the tippy toe bottom. Is, is Cornwall Cornish? Yes. I did not know that. Cornwall creates the Cornish people. (laughs) And so and so it's a Celtic nation. So, you know, like in Ireland and Northern Ireland are like off in the island to the side. Mm -hmm. And then so um, Cornish people were a Celtic minority group in Great Britain. Okay, And they did tin mining in Cornwall for like 4000 years. Shit. Like a lot of tin forever. (laughs) That's just like how they lived. It was their thing. When they started coming to Appalachia, it was always for it was going to be for coal mining jobs, which is not um, actually or for, like I said, gold mining. And there were so many Cornish people in the West in this time period that the definition of mine, there was a joke that you could you defined a mine as a hole in the ground with a Cornish man at the bottom. That was like what they said in California. They um, there are similarities between tin and coal mining. But they're not exactly the same. Like coal is softer. Tin is like a hard mineral. So there are differences. It's more finicky and stuff. But the atmosphere is a lot the same. So, you know, you go down this, you can go down like long declining tunnels, which is what we see a lot when we're talking about like the Kentucky tunnels and like the tunnel systems and stuff that you can access through these doors and like walk down these great shafts. But they also sink shafts that can be like in Kentucky, there's a coal mine that has a 1200 foot deep shaft. Shit. to I get down Minecraft. to the ore I, I, know. I play Minecraft I know I know that feel I know that feeling <laughs> well 1200 feet of this shaft which isn't even the, the, the deepest shaft in the world not yeah. even close right 
is the height of the Empire State Building. Wow. So if you're going down an elevator down this shaft to work for ore, how long do you think it would take you to just sit and listen to this creaky ass elevator and watch the black get blacker? You know what I mean? You have to be a special kind of person to do that. For real. I could not do that. Me neither. Like I would sit there and think about the earth pressing in on me the whole entire time. Yes. Absolutely. And yeah. I think Don't any you feel reasonable that way in the basement pe- of the library, too. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Yes. All basements with like <laughs> flickering yeah. fluorescent lights and like, you know, 16 stories above you. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. So, this, you know, it, they knew how to do this kind of work and they would come, you know, in, in coal mining, there has to be some sort of ventilation, you know, because you're down here and there's all these natural mm. gases that are escaping and you've also pulled in this diesel equipment you know in certain time yeah. time periods and there's no oxygen and there. there's yeah and there's so um there's also dust from drilling and blasting so you have to have and before the industrial i didn't even know this before the industrial revolution the only way they could get this ventilation was by lighting brush fires in the right places to pull surface air down into the shafts and into the mine tunnels and i was like number one that's fucking genius like i don't know how people did things right. like this before right you know, and then they got these massive, like really cool looking, weird ass ventilation fans that would sit up top on the surface. And they look like massive, like steampunk water wheels that mm-hmm. just like <laughs> to pull the air around. But, you know, I always heard, you know, there's a song about it, the canary in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. You know, you always hear about that. And I always thought that that was like you would the person would walk ahead with the canary. And then if the canary dies, you know, you can't go down that way. Mm-hmm. But the canary goes with you. And when it dies, you know you have to leave. Right. So it's like you work in this gaseous environment until the canary dies. Right. And then you know you have to get out because there's only a certain amount of time before it's going to kill you, too. Right. Like, it's not as it's not as pat as... Like, you just l- release it and wait and see. Yeah. It's, you go, yeah. You, you stay with it. It's very dark. Right. <laughs> it's a dark time for canaries. But, um, so, you know, you're doing this, if you're coal mining, like you're moving around in these close tunnels, you're digging, drilling, blasting, loading up these mine carts to send coal back up on these rail cars. You know, that's all real shit, like mm-hmm. loading ore into rail cars and then up elevators to go all the way back to the surface. Harry Potter style. The Harry Potter style, <laughs> except maybe with goblins. I know. Then like the mines were worked generally 24 hours a day because rich people want to be rich. And <sighs> so it would be 24 hours a day in shifts. It didn't really matter if you were day or night shift, because once you get down there, it doesn't really matter what time Mm -hmm. of day it is. It's going to be just as dark as dark. But I know it's just even thinking about it creeps me out. Yeah. Thomas Edison was actually asked by a mining company in 1914 to develop a rechargeable battery powered lighted mining helmet. He was specifically requested to do it because before then they had mining helmets with open flames in them and candles and lanterns were the ways that they were lighting these shafts. And they're dealing with fucking natural gas oh, yeah. coming out from these like these mine shafts. So we want some sparks happening, right? Exactly. So that hundreds of men could be killed at a time and often were killed at a time. So in like, um, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it's Monongah, I think, West Virginia, their coal mine in 1907. A miner was wearing a lighted open flame lamp on his head and it sparked and lit gas into an explosion that blew out the infrastructure of the mine tunnels, caved in the roof, and also was so strong that it blew out the surface structures. Oh, shit. So, like, the power of the blast 
actually damaged the surface of the ground and ruined one of their ventilation fans. So they might have been able to rescue more people. But once that happens, you've got carbon monoxide and nitrogen and then carbon dioxide. No, wait, carbon monoxide is one of the fumes. Then nitrogen mixed with carbon dioxide is another fume. And there's no oxygen involved in any of that. And so these guys are stuck down there. And there's no such thing as breathing apparatus that can protect you from this at this time. So rescuers could go down, but they could only stay for like 10, 15 minutes and then they would have to go. 362, officially 362 miners died in this one incident. And they also, like you were saying with child labor, Mm -hmm. there were probably more people that died because they would just kind of surreptitiously bring their wives and their children down to work with them while they were in the mines. and they wouldn't have been accounted for. This is a really, this you know, this is an unusually high impact event, mm-hmm. but like fatal accidents happen all the time in coal mining. Well, they still do. And like, they still it's do. It's not like we have not heard of any in our lifetimes. Well, and there right. were, I mean, in just in recent years, years. Yeah, mm-hmm. there have been more. And there was one, um, so one article I found, there was a common story. There was a driller who hit really hard rock while he was drilling for coal. And he would put in like five or six holes and would fill each hole with gunpowder. Oh. And set fuses because you you hit hard rock. And if you blow that hard rock out of the way, then you can get back to your job and not have to worry too much about drilling blah, 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 blah through this hard rock all the time. So he would set the fuses and go around to a safe distance and then he would light them and blow the hard rock out and then he would go back to work. Except then the shift would change and a new driller comes down the shaft and he goes back home and goes to sleep. And the new driller didn't know that anybody set fuses and there's one fuse that didn't light. Mm. So this driller is drilling through this rock and hits the cap of gunpowder that didn't light with the fuse and has no idea that there's anything like this happened. And like when that happens, he explodes. I'm sure. And there's nothing left that looks like a person. Oh, my God. Like this is the shit that happens in coal mining Mm. in this time. So it's kind of like it's terrifying. Yeah. So if you can't if you can't deal with like even just the fact that you're down there in the dark sometimes by your sometimes with a crew of people right Mm -hmm. near you but sometimes you're in a tunnel by yourself right and you're just hearing like water dripping and you're hearing things clattering every once in a while down the way and every time something falls you just get reminded of how far underground you are and how empty the space is and like the timbers that are holding up the walls would creak and there's no light right and you've been there for five hours yeah and it's like in order to deal with that, you'd have to lean on like superstition or religion mm-hmm. just to make your brain stay straight to say there's something protecting me here mm-hmm. and I'm not just going to die every five seconds. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die because when you're in the quiet moments, all you're thinking about is that guy that just got blown up by his drill and realizing that like that could be you next time. So you can't think about that. So you're thinking about whatever you can think of that's going to keep you safe. And that's where the Tommy knockers come from. In Cornwall, the Tommy knockers were like gnomes, like dwarf creatures. They were the leprechauns and brownies. They're only like two feet tall. And some people say they were like greenish, but they had really super large heads and really super long arms and mm-hmm. wrinkles and white or red beards. And they were generally just dressed like miners, like whatever a normal miner's outfit would be. This is what the this is what the um, the knocker would wear. And they called them knockers, not Tommy knockers in Cornish folklore. Hmm. So they were like nature spirits and they could be mischievous, but mostly they were helpful. 
So they would, they might come in and steal your tools. They might come in and blow out your candle. But most kind of the like time, gremlins, right? A little, but they were less, less <laughs> nasty than gremlins <laughs> most of the time. Mm-hmm. They did say that there were some that were like malevolent and would cause cave-ins. But generally, the idea was that these would, you would hear knockers. You would hear knockers um, leading you out of a place where there was going to be a cave-in. There were different times where it mm-hmm. seemed like they would lead you to ore. And if you want to read a story, like if you want to read a, an academic paper about how the different economies of mining impacted how people looked at knockers. Oh, wow. Like I can give you that link. Holy I'll put shit. it in the show notes. It's like it's massive and it's really kind of fascinating. I would love to read that. It's like if once, you know, it's like when they worked for big companies, they thought this about the gnomes. But when they worked for themselves and they would they would make a profit off of it, they thought this about the gnome. It's oh, it's really interesting. Wow. So anyway. They would basically they looked at the knockers as these creatures that are going to warn them of impending doom. They're protecting you. And so just like with other fae creatures, there's a reciprocity involved here. Like they're not going to help you if you don't give them anything back. And so one of the things that miners would do is their wives would cook them a supper or a lunch or whatever, and they would take it down to the mine and they would eat it in the mine and there would always be an extra cake for them to leave for the knockers. For Santa Claus. It's so like I made, Claus. and they were Cornish saffron cakes. <gasps> Did you make us Cornish so, saffron cakes? Oh my so God. I made you Cornish <gasps> saffron cakes. Poor Leia. They're not, they're not exactly right. What? But, but they don't look wrong. Yeah. But, well, they're supposed to have, I don't even know what currants are. Hold on a second. They're like a raisiny thing. Oh, they look fantastic. Currants are like raisins, <gasps> right? That's what I thought. Check I it out. So these look like kind of hard rolls with raisins in them. Yeah, they're sweet rolls and they're um they're yeast sweet yeast rolls and they're flavored delicious. with saffron and they've got they're saffron. supposed to have currants. Which is really expensive. I was like, holy shit. It must not have been like this because I fucking found it. But I found it at Walmart and it was $18 for an itty bitty vial of saffron. It's always been expensive So I was like, oh my God, these people were living in it if saffron cost that much. But so these are these are Cornish saffron cakes and Mm -hmm. they're cooked with raisins because I didn't have raisins. But I like them better that way, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, it's good. Well, I love saffron to begin with. Mm. I had never had it. I'm like. Saffron shrimp and stuff, but like I said, saffron is so freaking expensive. It's, it's like a luxury. Yeah, and it was. It's like these little these little slivers of the flowers. Yeah, yeah, they're little, and yeah. so you can see the little tiny blossom of the flower petal at the end of them. Mm-hmm. But you pour boiling water in them, and you let the water infuse with saffron, like and yellow. it turns bright orange. It's so well, this pretty. Had like a, it looked like a crescent roll shape. Kind of. Mm-hmm. It, but it's much more dense. Like a, mm-hmm. it like probably, a it probably isn't supposed to be. Well, like, I don't know. It's good. When I was saying mm-hmm. I was going to tell you my arthritis really story, my story was that this recipe calls. So it took me all morning to do this because it's a yeast bread. So Not like, like oh, there was good. a lot of resting, mm-hmm. but like it calls for a fifteen minute kneading period, no. which seems like it shouldn't be a lot, right? That's but I'm sitting lot. there like. Holy fuck. I know. Randy's standing over there for a minute before he goes out to work on my shed. And I'm like needing this. He's like, what you doing? And I was like, I'm supposed to need this. I started my timer. I was like, how much is on my timer? And he's like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> I was like, how long has it been? And he's like, it's been like three and a half minutes. <laughs> like, my shoulders are starting to burn. Oh my, my hands God. are hurting. So, yeah, kneading is not in my bailiwick anymore. 
But I'll put this. I'll put this recipe. Currants are also known as gooseberries. Currants are. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't. I really. I was like really. I really just thought it was a British word for raisin. That's just delicious. But I guess it's not. So anyway, there's more here if y'all want them. But says they're native, native to the temperate regions of the northern hemisphere. Hmm. I don't even know what that is. What are are we in the temperate regions of the northern hemisphere? We're in the northern hemisphere. Cool. Very <laughs> temperate. It's all over the place. We're just hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, these are the little cakes that they would leave out for the the knockers to basically like secure their protection. Mm-hmm. It's like the knocker mafia. <laughs> this is how they paid them. <laughs> and so they wanted to stay in good favor. And there's a like as a side note, I think it'd be wrong to not mention that over the centuries, you know how lore changes and it like t- picks up different flavors. Well, this flu's flavored with anti-Semitism for a while. Mm. For a little while, if you saw a picture of a knocker, it would have like a hooked nose and a really wide smile. And it was very Shylocky. Mm-hmm. And they said that the knockers were the souls of the Jews who had called for the crucifixion of Christ. And they had been punished by making their spirits restless and making them work in the mines for their whole afterlife. So, you know, it is important to recognize that that's part of it. You know, that's kind of in there. That's also in that same research paper if you want to learn more about it. But when the Cornish moved to the New World to mine, the knockers, I'm not really sure why they became the Tommy knockers, but that's the name change. And one of the the other things that changed was that anti-Semitic part just somehow fell away because it wasn't part of the history Mm. that people recognized. So they just it just didn't occur anymore. Hmm. So in the U.S. and Appalachia, they did believe that the Tommyknockers were gnomes and tricksters. But because there's less of a belief in fairies here, Mm -hmm. they kind of merged more into the ghost story idea. And they started to say that the Tommyknockers were the spirits of miners who had died in the mines and were trying to ward other people away from their fate. Right. So every mine, like we said, had people die in it. There wasn't a mine that didn't have a fatality. Right. So it's not like it was specific to one thing. Like right. everybody had it. That's where they had like, it's been how many days since somebody died? Exactly. And right. then they have to turn it back, back to, zero, to zero like every three days. Mm-hmm. So my favorite story that I found of this was from the Lewisburg Journal in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. I know that's not Southern, but it's a cool story from 1905. And um, it was by a writer named Harry Beardsley. And he said the miners believed in invariably that the ghost of a miner killed in the mine returned. And sometimes that would mean like the carts would move by themselves. Sometimes that mean the elevator would start working. Usually they're only heard. They're almost never seen. And he said, a mining friend of mine told me of a warning which came to him once in a narrow escape. He was working in a mine into which the water flowed in such quantities that they had to keep pumps constantly working to draw the water out of the mine to the surface. And he said, my friend was in charge of the pumps. So when each shift of men finished, he would have to inspect them all. And the ore was lifted from the mine on an inclined shaft, like we were talking about. And the cars would, the cars that ran the ore up the shaft were called skips. So the pump inspector, their shift had finished and he had visited four of the pumps and he was about to start down the shaft to the fifth pump, which is 500 feet below the ground. And then he felt this like prickly feeling and he started to feel like afraid in a way that just didn't mesh with the things that were going on around him. And he heard a voice over his shoulder say to him, don't you go down that shaft tonight. And the miner stopped and he said he could even feel breath on his neck. No, but yay. And he felt a presence, but he was like, I'm a grown human being. You Mm -hmm. know, this is stupid. And he went down to the pump. So he reached the 500 foot level 
and started to inspect the pump. And in the tunnel that was on, I think on either side, if I'm understanding this right, the water stood as high as a man's head about, you know, that's how much water was filling up this mine. A hundred feet above where he is while he's inspecting the pump at another tunnel, a skip has tons of ore in it and it's crawling up the incline shaft. He suddenly hears like this crashing, rattling sound from above him because the skip that was crawling up the tunnel a hundred feet above him had broken and tons of rock were about to fall straight down Mm -hmm. that shaft onto his head. So he flattened himself up against the wall and the rock came down all in front of him, but he didn't escape entirely. Like these massive pieces of rock were hitting his chest and his shoulders and he's got bruises all over his body. But the worst thing is when they fell, there was a steam pipe above him and the steam pipe burst. And so hissing steam starts coming out of the wall of the shaft and filling up the tunnel, which is like, so he's it's burning his nose and it's burning his lungs and it's smothering him. Like you can't breathe. Yeah. And so he's like, the only thing I can do is jump into this water. So he jumps into tunnel, this tunnel of icy water that's in front of him that the pump is supposed to be vacating. There's so many things that can go wrong. I know. Many. And so he swims away from the tunnel under the water and just prays that they're going to realize that this has happened Mm -hmm. above. And that not before long, an engineer realizes that the, the pressure has gone down and he turns the valve and turns off the steam to that pipe. And so the the friend of this writer like swims back out towards the shaft and pulls. There's like a um a signal bell that you can pull at every tunnel. And so he pulls the signal bell and they lower a car to get him back up and he climbs back up and he's just weak. He's bruised all over. But he says he will never again doubt if a voice talks to him in the dark of a coal <laughs> mine and says, do not go under that down to that shaft. Right. No. So... <laughs> So, um, you know, maybe it was the knockers looking out for him if that's the way they look at it. But the, the belief in these, whether, whether people looked at them as gnomes or ghosts, the belief remained like well into the 20th century. And there's a story on the Wikipedia page on this that like a large mine closed in 1956 even. And the owners had sealed the entrance of the mine. Cornish miners from it's like four, five, six generations from their immigration to the country had um, put out a petition asking the owners of the mine to reopen the door so they would set the knockers free to work in other mines to keep other people safe. And the owners actually complied. Oh, wow. And so, you know, it was that big of a deal. But that is the story of the non-alien Tommyknockers. Tommyknockers. They're here to help you. Right? They don't want you to torture your dog. No. (laughs) Jesus. Listen to them. Listen to the knockers. I mean, Listen I, to your Tommy knocker, okay? I, I was thinking, like, trying to help I you, used to... But you got to bake for him. Bake <laughs> for your knocker. The, <laughs> the, um, the level of um, severity, if you don't listen in a mine, is way more than me when I was young and I would be afraid to run to the bathroom in the dark and I would hear something being like, don't go in there. <laughs> <laughs> like you're probably not going to get crushed to death if you decide to go to the bathroom. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I was thinking like if I listened every time I heard the voice tell me don't do that, I would not be going anywhere. I hear a voice every morning go, don't get up. Don't get up. <laughs> every day, Patrice. Stay in bed. Five my more life, minutes. Every day. <laughs> Every day. Yeah, I wouldn't have a job either. The relative <laughs> listed to the Tommy knockers. Right. <laughs> mm. Which is true. Like, you know, I've had so many experiences where I just had like 
just this feeling nobody's like whispering in my ear but it's like kind of like the hair on the back of your neck Mm -hmm. or some little shift it's your red flag it's your red flag and be like hey maybe you want to switch to that other lane Mm -hmm. you know and you're like okay so you do it and then you know you see like a car stopped in the middle of the lane that you didn't see before while you're doing 70 miles an hour and that you would have plowed into (laughs) shit so you know listen to the hair on the back of your neck yes do it Mm-hmm. Pay attention to the red flags. I yes. feel like we're taking that for another podcast. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, these little Tommy Knocker cakes are delicious. Yes, they're great. Thank mm. you so much for. So, honestly, did you need it for 15 minutes? I needed it for like 13 and a half months. <laughs> That's still badass. Yeah, no way. It really is. Like after five minutes, I'd been like, eh, it's good enough. <laughs> I'm not a perfectionist. <laughs> it wouldn't rise, though. I had it in the oven. And I was like, why are you not getting taller? I would have been like, eh, it's fine. It's yeah. flat. I know. I'll still eat. It's flatter, but it's okay. Just dip it in your coffee. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. Mm, that would be good. Hmm. Mm. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate you. Thank you. And we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye.